Welcome to another edition of Record Roundtable, where we cover an artist, or a band, or a group of brothers, perhaps. And this week we're covering the Avett Brothers. It is Avett, right? Not yes. Avett? I say Avett, but I don't really care. <clears throat> what do they think? Probably Avett. Yeah, they say Avett. Good. That's this not, is Caleb Robinson that... speaking. I'm here with Jared. This is Tyler. John. John is John. here as well. This show was John's choice. John wanted to do this episode. Yeah, one of my favorite bands. I was gonna, I was going to say I figured that you wanted to cover it because you hated it so much. Right. So I figured you were just really, <laughs> really excited. You've been thinking for weeks. You're like, man, I really want to trash this band, but where can I do it? <laughs> I know my friends have a podcast. I love that idea, though. It's like you like really hate something. You're like, yeah, can we do this? And you're like, oh, John must really like that band. And you come on like, this band, they suck. It'd be great. Anyways, <clears throat> this week we're talking about the Avit Brothers. And how do we feel about the Avit Brothers this week? Let's start with Jared. I liked it. I like them. I, I think the first time I heard them was their performance of I and Love and You, either on David Letterman, or it might have been, uh, what's that live show that PBS does? Uh, Austin, Austin City, Limits. City Limits. If they've done that, then I would have seen it on that. But I cannot remember now. I just remember if the first thing I heard from them is that song. I like that song a lot. And then I kind of like followed them uh, from there. I mostly just like listened to when they would have new singles come out. And I would always like the new singles, but I never could get it into the albums. But uh, I like, so I like them the as albums. a band. Yes. Okay. I like them as a band. I think they're pretty good. Tyler. I like them too, for the most part. I found them in high school. At some point, one of my friends showed them to me. It must have been junior-ish year. So that had been 2008 or 2009. So they're pretty good. I think that I like emotionalism, and I like I Am Loving You, and I like The Carpenter, and that's my era. Um, from the, like the later, the stuff after that is not doesn't quite do it as much for me. And they start to get some of the albums. We'll talk about it. Um, are kind of varied too much from from my liking, a little bit. And but they're pretty good. I like their stuff. I like the content. I like the lyrical content. I like the way that they write lyrics, uh, and I like the melodic aspects of it too. I think it's pretty good. Instrumentation is also quite quite nice because they bring in a couple of different people for different things. You know, they really think about what they want in each composition, and uh, I think their melodies are really good too. John, of course, you already said. Right, yeah, one of my favorite bands. I learned about them almost 10 years ago, I think. Um, I was playing in the band, and so we, the way we would, we only did cover songs, because we we're not any good. And somebody, I think there's a singer in the band, was like, hey, we should cover the song Kick Drum Heart by the Avid Brothers. I never heard it. I listened to it, I was like, this is awesome. So then I just went down a rabbit hole of listening to all their music, and I've been a fan ever since. I actually went to the All-Star Game, uh, Great American Ballpark here in Cincinnati in 2015, and they were like billed to play before the game. It was like, oh yeah, Ava Brothers are going to play before the game. So we get there early, I'm all excited, they never show up. Come to find out, they play at like Yeatman's Cove down on the river. So I totally missed that concert, I was really mad at myself. But I did get to see them at the same place, Great American Ballpark. Uh, I guess it's been like a year and a half ago? It was last year they played. And excellent show. It was like an hour and a half long after the game. Really enjoyed it. Hour and a half long? I was not there. No, I was going to go. I did not go. It was just them? 
Just them. I was really wow. surprised. Usually after the game, it's like a 45 minute set, but yeah. they went on forever. That's I what I'm saying. Really, like, that's surprising that yeah. they would play for that long. That's a really long show. My wife and the, my, me and my wife were there with the kids, and like they were asleep. So I was just like holding my kids asleep, like watching the show, and we were like far away. But I still really enjoyed it. It's a bluegrass lullaby. Bluegrass there lullaby. You there you go. Yeah. Is that one of their songs? It could Is that be. your favorite song this week? Yeah, play it. I know it's not a song. Uh, I went to a couple of bluegrass concerts when I was young, like 11, 12 years old, and like they just really resonated with me. I love banjo, I love mandolin, and I love the way that they, you know, tie those into a lot of the music. So you're you're already kind of a fan of bluegrass music, kind yeah. of in general. Yes. So they obviously like kind of the the um, the twist that they do, kind of obviously to me, is that they obviously take the bluegrass elements and then they blend it in with pop mm-hmm. sensibilities. And so, you know, and I think that happens pretty quickly. I think that maybe their early albums, it's a little bit more strictly in the bluegrass mm-hmm, like yeah. camp. But by the time they get to about emotionalism, that's about the point in time where they start to bring in more of the the pop hooks yeah. and the choruses and whatever it might be that kind of brings out that more commercial appeal. Right. Do you like the way that they um, kind of put the bluegrass and the pop together or would you prefer to have them at their early point when they were a little bit more of just kind of strictly bluegrass. I like it most of the time. Um, in their newer albums, it's pretty obvious when they're just trying to make a pop song. Like their most popular song is Ain't No Man. And, you know, it's okay. It, it is what it is. But I don't think it represents who they are as a band very well. It only has bass guitar. That's it. That's the only instrument in that song. Right. There's no harmonizing. It's bass guitar and claps and foot stomps. Like, right. you know, okay, that's fine. But, like, they just do so many things as a band that it's just kind of disappointing that that's their most popular song. Yeah. I know that, like, they definitely have moments where you can tell it's pretty on the nose that they're doing something kind of intentional. For sure, yeah. So, for example, one of the ones that stood out to me was on the album True Sadness, which is, like, a 2016 album. And that song, the song on the album is Satan Pulls the Strings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like just a Black Keys song. Like, it's, I'm going to play it a little bit. And, like, even, like, if you're thinking, like, hey, the Avett Brothers, the band that we're covering, maybe you haven't even listened to them that much. And we're saying bluegrass, bluegrass, bluegrass. This is not quite, you know, that. Baby's in the cradle. Mama's in the bed. Sparrows on the windowsill. And the devil's in my head. It was in there. It was in the background. That <laughs> it's a it's got some banjos back there. It's a hanging out. He brings well, in the banjo. Well, their sound is a fusion anyway. Right. It's a mixture. And they, so one thing, this is, uh, there's a thing I like, and at the same time, I don't like it sometimes, is that their albums sometimes do a little bit of varying. I, I read, and maybe John can attest to it, because I read this a long time ago, that they started, or the bands that they were in before, two bands came together to form Avid Brothers. And I heard that the early bands were punk bands. And I don't know if that's true or not. Do you know? Anyone know? Jared, can you go ahead and introduce this clip really quickly? We So we were watching the Avett Brothers documentary, which is about an hour and a half long documentary. Uh, you had to dig a little bit to find it, but but it's out there. And there was this clip that we found. And when I, when I heard it, I said, okay, we can't tell Tyler that we're going to play this. We just have to play this for Tyler and see how he feels. So let's go ahead and play the clip from... May it last, a portrait of the Avett brothers. This is the clip about their band Nemo. Yes. And then it slowly became 
the band Nemo. I think what we were attempting at that time was something closer to like at the drive-in. We were just still hung up on two electric guitars, electric bass, drums, lead singer, loud, aggressive, those ultra dynamics, singing, screaming, all kinds of, of stuff, but, but definitely heavy rock. So uh, at the drive-in. Called it. Love yeah. at the, I love at the drive-in. Do, do, so. What do you think about us covering the Avett Brothers and somehow being able to talk about at the drive-in at the same it's time? It's pretty sweet. You think so? I think it's pretty cool. This is Because what they do, I'm glad that you have confirmed it for me. Because I, like I said, I had read, this has been, I probably read that in high school, honestly. Yeah. And it just has always stuck with me. And I like how almost, on every album there's like a punk song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like one punk song on every album. They do sneak some punk in. I, know. I was surprised. I think that there was a song off of like I think it was I Am Loving You, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Might have been Ten Thousand No, I think it was earlier in the album. It might have been and it spread. There's like a point where they're like screaming on the song. And I was like surprised I didn't expect the Avid Brothers Kick to have a heart. song. I think that's what it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, it was Kick Drun Heart, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's the one. But yeah, I I wasn't sure because it kind of depended on whether you liked the Avett Brothers or not, how you would react to them talking about their music sounding like at the drive-in. I'm down. Because if you hadn't liked the Avett Brothers and you were like, oh God, I'm going to hate this so much. And then I brought in at the drive-in, you would have been so... I'd been mad. Angry. <laughs> and so I was like, there's really one of two ways this goes. Either you're really excited about the fact that we bring at the drive-in in or you get really, really pissed. I'm good. I'm happy with it. I'm glad it worked so out. So it's good. Well, the one uh, one song that stands out as that is uh, "Bleeding White." That's the opener to their album from last year. It's a punk song. I don't know if you remember all remember that one. I it's think the, so, the yeah. opener for it. So I like they sneak it in, and I think it gives them a, that like that's what they do on a lot of their albums. Sometimes it varies. Their sound varies. So sometimes they'll sneak a couple of things in. Sometimes they'll shift to where something is more like part of the album is a little more pop centered, and part of it's a little more folk centered. You know, or even song to song. Some songs are clearly more pop centered, and some songs are a little more folk centered. And it happens a lot on the album that came out last year, which is one thing that I normally would like on their albums, but didn't like on the album last year. Hmm. I found it to be kind of difficult with that new one. So that's cool, though. I like that. I like that they're hard. They were, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I oh. thought I thought that was pretty surprising. Like mm-hmm. we were like watching the documentary, and like I I wouldn't say that like I'm like sitting there like on the edge of my seat or anything, you know. But like when they mentioned the Nemo thing, and I heard like the music get a little louder, I was like, "What?" <laughs> and then they mentioned the Abbott driving thing, and it just it blew my mind. Yeah, Caleb was like, "Timestamp this, timestamp this," and <laughs> I, I literally found the, that clip alone on YouTube, and then I looked on it's on Spotify. Because I looked up Nemo, Avett Brothers, and like you can buy the vinyl, the f- five-track EP, really? for $15 I'll, I'll grab of one. Nemo, 19, grab 1934, I think is what it's called. It's Nemo 1934, Volume 1. And um, yes. yeah, it was, pretty, it was pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. So that documentary was directed by Judd Apatow. It was, yeah. yeah. He used a lot of their songs in a lot of, yeah. you know, the this TV show Love, some of the movies, and he finally did a documentary about them. And I really enjoyed it. Um, it came out three years ago. So, like, it, they really opened themselves up to, like, show you a whole other level, you know, of, like, behind the scenes and, like, their family life and everything. Yes. So I thought it was – I enjoyed it personally. Yeah, because, like, the, the – not quite the closing portion of the documentary, but pretty close – was like the uh, the non Avid brother member whose daughter was very Bob, sick, and then yeah, yeah Bob, Bob and so they yeah. they kind of dug into 
the story of that and i think that that like i mean that's a pretty it's a pretty emotional thing to put into a documentary what it seemed like was that like the avid brothers are a group made up of two brothers Mm -hmm. but once you are an avid brother in the band you are in their family right like that's how they treat people um is that like the avid brothers they're all brothers even though they're not biologically it's very interesting it seems because uh the fiddle player was talking talking about how uh she's never worked with any musical artists that have had such a close relationship and it's odd for two brothers to have such a close relationship that she's seen like it just it just blew her mind. It doesn't. It doesn't happen. No. Yeah. Usually, two brothers will hate the crap out of each other. They'll never do any kind of projects like that yeah. together. Like it just. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's Anyone true. else who's involved typically just doesn't want to talk about it because he's sick of the two brothers yeah. fighting all the time <laughs> and making things awkward and uncomfortable. Right. Right. Well, all I'm going to say is, Tyler, if you ever have a daughter and she's very sick, I will not come to the hospital. For oh that's great. God. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Another like parallel is a group uh, like the kings of leon who yes. are two yeah. brothers right and even uh three o- brothers oasis they're three brothers and a cousin the follow uh, that's true the follow wills and, and the cousin Fall and then oasis as well of two brothers that were able to create uh, listen popular music don't, together don't but they broke up because they hated each other do not taint this episode yeah, with oasis. speak of oasis i'm just using an example Tyler. if anyone listening to this has not heard the ava brothers um I do think the documentary would be a good starting point because they feature a lot of the music. They do. They show all their personalities. Um, the four main members, uh, Seth Avett, the younger brother, Scott Avett, the older one, Bob, the uh, upright bass player who was added, and then Joe, um, the cellist, who was added the last piece of it. And they just show everybody and they go on tour and they have them. It's not so much on tour as they're recording True Sadness, but then, I mean, there's other things that they show, too. and it's just I mean, they showed, like, the beginnings of the group. Of, yeah. Like, home video yep. of them playing at, like, some wedding yep. in, like, a farm and uh, them, like, going on, uh, like, various tours when they're really young. Taking care of their chickens. Taking care of their chickens. They also were talking about Taking how... Taking care of chickens. <laughs> <laughs> We cannot drink during the show anymore. And working on the farm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Listen, this is how we entertain our fans. That's the American version. Damn Canadians. They don't know what it's like. It's too cold up there for chickens. That's true. What's the difference between a chicken and an owl? Exactly. They're both birds. Go on. Um... But there was a story of them going to talk to a record executive on the documentary. And they were like, uh, so you guys only have original songs? Do you ever think about like doing covers? And they're like, no, not really. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, you know, we don't think that there are any are going to be any, like radio hits unless you have like songs that other people have written. And they're like, wow, oh, we don't really like this very much. And so they didn't sign. It was a Nashville label. And that makes sense to a certain extent with Nashville where it's like, it's a weird club in Nashville where yeah. you have to have people, there's songwriters in Nashville and country music artists go to Nashville and they find the people that write songs. And then that way the people that write songs get money and the artists get money. And it's like this weird, 
Illuminati thing going Plus on. Plus, we know we know how country music is full of of like cover versions of different things. That's know, what I was just repetitive say. songs. Yes. You know, I think they kind of held that had that like that was the shtick in country longer than sometimes it was in pop music. Even I would agree. I always, I was going to say that like country and folk are kind of the genres that I think of more of like kind of having to like repeat the classics. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of have to return to old songs as a country or bluegrass artist. Mm-hmm. So they brought in Rick Rubin, or I guess Rick Rubin introduced himself to them. Right. For the first um, album that he produced with them is I Am Loving You. And since then, he's produced every album. Yeah. And that was their sixth. They already put out five albums before they went with Rick Rubin and then they signed with, I think, American Records. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, a major label. And you can definitely see a turn um, in just... Very quick. Kind of everything, yeah. Um. I Am Loving You, they still, for a lot of it, kind of stayed true to their stuff. But then, you know, just the singles, you know what I mean? Ain't No Man and uh, the the one on the newest album. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, the new album is called Closer Than Together. Yeah, like every I album believe... they have at least one or two songs that they're trying to make hits. And I feel like a lot of that is Rick Rubin's influence. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember which song off of that one. But I know I I know that there was a song, but I can't remember really which one off of the most recent album kind of stood out to me. It was like, yeah, they're trying to do a single here. Well, I think things changed. For me, things changed at um, Magpie and the Dandelion. That's I, disag- I disagree, me. though, because Magpie and the Dandelion are songs that come off of the Carpenter. They recorded the Carpenter, and the kind of the trail-off songs are the ones that were Magpie and the Dandelion. Yeah, but they're just not as good. Well... And it marks a period where I don't like the sadness very much. Oh, it's an album I don't really... It's, I don't dislike it, I heard a but lot I don't like it that like much. It, it doesn't... Uh, things are a lot. Songs. Well, things are a lot different. Yeah. They're using kind of... The pop comes is becomes more prominent. In a way that, for me, I don't think is particularly valuable. Sure. I think they lose a portion of really what it seemed they were trying to do when they've done that. Yeah, and uh, it's just not like I. I thought I'd like Satan pull the string pulls the strings. And I listened to it, and then we played it a second ago. And I'm like, I'm not even sure really because it's kind of I like the parts where the uh, um, banjo banjo comes back in. You know what I mean? And does something interesting. And there's some, that I mean, there's interesting stuff to it. The bass does an interesting thing in there that kind of is like counterpointing everything else that's happening like there's some interesting stuff in it but i'm not sure that like all in all the move that they made that's represented in that song in that album works for me sure so i think that makes sense yeah i i know that uh pitchfork poo-pooed all over it i think they gave it like true sadness yeah i think they gave it like a 2.8 or something like it also was like real real low they were like yeah the pretty apropos name guys it makes me really truly sad i like true sad i like true sadness as an album i like songs from it Mm -hmm. i think partly because i listened to it more it was 2016 i think i just was like looking for that album to come out excited for it and so i when you when that happens when you're excited for album sometimes you force yourself to like it yeah yeah and so i like uh i like the song true sadness a lot i like smithsonian i think that's a good song it's a fun little song uh, I did. I didn't know the story, but I like divorce separation blues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's about cool that's about his divorce from his wife, and he like the most um, maybe personal song that he's written. But uh, yeah, he was talking about during the in the documentary. He was talking about how he that song, the divorce separation blues, is written about a time that he could not write. It had to happen to him a divorce. 
and he could not write, write about it now and he couldn't write about it before and it, like you can only write about something when it happens and then you can never do it again so that's an interesting right. thought since you're talking about favorite songs off of that album why don't you go ahead and tell us your favorite song from the avid brothers in general who me yes you i'm looking right at couldn't you be, then who I don't know. It might be true sadness. I like this. And I am to pay you back. But I still wake up shaking my dreams. And I hate to say it, but the way it seems is that no one is fine. Take the time to peel a few layers and That's pretty loud. Everything's really loud. The production's kind of interesting on that. I think this whole album's a little bit like that. I think that was one of the, either the first single from it or something. And that's kind of what drew me to listening to the yeah. album. Um, no, actually, I guess it wasn't even a single. Ain't No Man and Satan Pulls the Strings were the only two or singles. singles yeah. So I, maybe it came, I guess it, it wouldn't have been a single. I feel like I listened to it not on the album. So I don't know. Weird. Yeah. That album, uh, the one thing I can, I never, like every time I see it, I always think about, uh, the Clash, because the cover of that album looks like the cover of "Give Them Enough Rope" by The Clash. Anybody know if there's any ties there? Here's the here here's the cover of The Clash's album, right? As you can see. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Similar who... colors and the cover of their album. Yeah. Interesting. So I, can, I don't I know. I, don't I always any, get it confused. Like uh, uh, any crediting. I mean, obviously the they have a more varied taste than you would I expect mean, from like a couple of guys making a bluegrass album if they wanted to make music that sounded like yeah i know, just wondered if the there was drive-in. i think there has to be some kind of tie i think the picture you, the two pictures you're showing both of them go yellow blue red and the way that they're kind of like uh they probably have like a horse clash. on it yeah so one of them's like sand and then the other one's sunlight i think there has to be yeah, something that's what I'm thinking. They, they were going for something that's there. what Listeners, i was thinking go look at these two album covers and you decide yeah. what you yeah. think and if you read anything it. about it let me know because i have always wondered that yeah and next actually i thought i would like this album too i'm actually pretty bummed because i always was like that's an album of theirs i'll probably like because i like them and that looks like the clash and i think i would like that mm. and then and you didn't like it i didn't did just, you like I that clash album? It, but funny enough yeah i do because that's their last that sandinista no no what was it? Give, give him enough rope. Give it's got safe rope. European home on it, and uh, I really like safe European home. It's a cool song. We should cover them. Oh no, we already did twice. <laughs> so. uh, that album came out the same day as Drake's Views and Beyonce's Lemonade. Really? Wow. And unsurprisingly, luck, unsurprisingly, it debuted at number three. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. That's <laughs> Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin, you picked the wrong day. Yeah, yeah. I will. Crazy. So I will put give... on some shoes, <sighs> please. Are you talking to me or Rick Rubin? Uh, both. During the documentary, he did not have his shoes on the entire Ever. time. Ever. He was walking around with his big old beard and his shorts and Wouldn't his you? black shoes. shoes. Wouldn't you? Shoes. I would definitely do that yeah. if I was Rick Rubin. That's what Rick I'd be doing. The best. Yeah. So I will give credit where credit is due in terms of Rick Rubin and the Avett brothers. Is that if you think about it, so they kind of, like, they took this pop um, turn around I and Loving You, which was right around 2009. Uh, and it actually is a little early for the pop folk kind of takeover because that really happened with like Mumford and Sons and of Monsters and Men and artists kind of within that ilk. And they're a couple years ahead. So not only did Rick Rubin catch on and be like, 
I'm going to bank on this one. But like they also were kind of mindful enough to know we can go with this sound and it might go somewhere. Yeah. And I just feel like they're more talented than those bands yeah, you mentioned. I'd like, have to agree. They're incredibly talented. Um, and I would agree with Jer, well, I guess more so Tyler, that True Sadness is not one of their best albums. My personal favorite album is I Am Loving You. But there is one song on True Sadness that stands out called No Hard Feelings that I think is just ties in everything they do so well. In the documentary, they record pretty much the whole song as they're recording it in the studio for the album. And like, it's just such a heavy song that Seth and Scott are both like, we need a minute. Like they just go outside and just like try to decompress. I think I remember that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, every one of their songs, like it's just straight from their heart. It's like they're reading from their diary basically. And it's just, I don't know. Like a lot, not every band tries to do that. You know what I mean? Like not every band is trying to sing about personal stuff. It just reminded me of the scene where they're talking about writing the letter. Yeah, go ahead. You were making fun of him. Go ahead. I thought it was a little silly when they. He doesn't. Caleb doesn't like the way they write songs. He was. He was. What? Don't look at me like that. I did this. This. So there's this scene where they're like they're chatting back and forth, the two brothers, and the brother was like, "All right, so what if we wrote this song from the perspective of a letter, and they're writing the letter to the person, and then the other brother's like, yeah, so like in the letter they say, I love you, and I'm sorry, and the other brother was like. That's great. And that was like that was like the whole scene was like this like weird back and forth about like let's write a letter. Maybe they say I love you. I love it. And then they write that song and then it shows what them What song is it? I don't remember. Uh. But I see they then lead up to, they then perform that song like live. live. You can see them like talking about writing the song and then performing the song. I, I thought it was low-key. That's cool. So, but anyways, yes. Do you do you want to play No Hard Feelings? Sure. Will I be ready When my feet won't walk another mile And my lips give their last kiss goodbye Will my hands be steady When I lay down my fears My hopes and my doubts The rings on my fingers And the keys to my house with no hard feelings. Pretty good song. I think, uh, let's talk about, real quick, get back to where you were talking about where they come in early with all of this stuff. I mean, uh, comparing them, I, we can look at Mumford as a comparison real quick. Sure. We'll do it. They, are, they are, as John mentioned, more talented than Mumford. Their songs are more complex in terms of the musical aspect of it, the lyrical content, you know what I mean? They have something, every song expresses something, whether it be just a feeling or a situation that people typically find themselves in and they just kind of exist in it. They also are like the American group in that regard. You know, Mumford is from England, mm -hmm. you know? So like they're the American group where folk music like that's our music in a way. Yeah. So I mean, that, they they stand far and above, in my opinion, a lot of that stuff, and they tie back into American folk in the '60s much more so than any other pop folk in, yeah. or indie folk act. Which is also interesting because the two acts that I mentioned previously, obviously, so um, you know, I mentioned Mumford and Sons, which are obviously not from America, and the other one I mentioned was of Mo Monsters and Men, and they're from what was it? Uh, 
Sweden? No. Iceland or something. Iceland. Iceland. Yeah, Iceland. Yeah, because we talked about how they're like one of the few Icelandic bands. Other than Björk. Sigurros. Mm. Oh, Sigurros. Yeah, so I think that they I think that they came in ahead of it, but I think it's just uh, their music's just different. Mm-hmm. They're not right. they're definitely more folk and kind of a bluegrass country than they are pop for most of their career. Yeah. Almost the entirety of their career. I do want to talk a little bit about the idea of musical integrity to a bit, like a little bit in when you say people like sell out or whatever, like Avid Brothers technically sold out. Sure. They signed with a big label. Yeah. They work with Rick Rubin, who's like this big guy. But at the same time, you have to consider, uh, and they like are trying to write like pop songs to be on the radio. Sure. To a certain extent. But when you, you also have to consider things like, they have found success and they want to maintain that. And so you look at the, your new house and you look at your two kids and you're like, I would like to keep making as much money as I am making. So I have to bend to my artistic integrity because I have more things on the line now. Okay. The, the upright bass player has a special needs daughter. And so he has to consider the financial ramifications and like, how can I successfully maintain my livelihood with this new cost coming in? You're like, I have to bend to a certain extent, my artistic things. I things are more important. Like artistry is important, but there are things in life that are more important than that. I agree with that. But at the same time, you have to think about this. So, uh, let's see. I am loving you is the is that the only album that went gold or was there another album that I think it's the only one. Okay, because I know I mean they've obviously they've had successful like chart success, but albums don't sell the same way that they used right. to. No. But so let's say that you have I am loving you, which is a you know a gold record. They didn't really sacrifice a lot of their sound at that point in time, and so like had it been a case that they thought. Okay, we sold a gold record with I Am Loving You. We didn't really adapt our sound a whole lot other than let Rick Rubin come in, add some larger production, add some more layers to the sound, pop it up a little bit, but not like an exceptional amount. They probably could have theoretically kept doing that. Like, yes. I feel like it's more of an artistic decision for them to have gone in more of a pop direction more and more and ultimately, like you're saying, artistic integrity. I understand what you're saying. But for the most part, it seems like fans didn't really care for it. Critics didn't really care for it. It didn't really sell well. They didn't have a lot of big hit singles. What are you talking about? True Sadness? I mean, or basically like Magpie and the Dandelion, True on. Sadness, Closer Than Together. All three of those no, albums not. don't have a whole lot of major success. No, so like, I hear what you're saying that like, there is some level of artistic integrity that you're suggesting, but... I think it's more that that's just what they wanted to do kind at that of. point. The Here's singles have success. Yeah. Yes. The albums do not. Yeah. Here's my point on what you've posited, Jared. And I think that this is. I think you're going to be all right with this. When you get when you quote unquote sell out the way that you've described, right? I mean, because there's two types of sellout. Because the one sellout is an artistic sellout, right? Where mm-hmm. I have compromised myself as an artist. What I want to do, I no longer do for the sake of making money or for the sake of fame, or whatever it may be. But what it really, like, with the first kind of selling out, quote-unquote, it's about what you do with that. Because when you do that, you now have access to many more opportunities musically. 
So what, and I think what they did on I Love and You and on The Carpenter was expand what they ex- take that and allow that expansion to make their music more complex because they have access to different things. Piano becomes more prominent in those albums, for instance. So I think, I think it's all about what you do. And I think what they've done with those albums, and I, I'm a three album guy for them, as I mentioned, really, as like the heart and soul of who these people are for me. And two of those albums are Rick Rubin albums. And because those two albums, they took what they could with, the, with this wider amount of uh, opportunity that they had, and they created music that pushed what they already had done to kind of the edge, the bounds of where it could go to an extent. For me, Magpie is kind of like, I mean, I, th- I see the, the Carpenter as a really well-crafted album. I think the song flow is is good. Each song, I think, is good. The melodies are good. The instrumentation is good. The album tracks really well. When you take songs from recording sessions of that that are left over, it's kind of hard to create an album. You've crafted a really good album. It's hard to take what's left and craft it into another really good album. Sure. That's why they're not on the first album. Yes. You know, so it inherently couldn't be as good. But from that point on, it had to be a, sometime. And fans didn't care because it, it makes sense. It's still, it makes sense. Like, those albums make sense, and people like right. them. Well, you know? I, it's like a weird... I, I know this is obviously like a very, very off example, but it's kind of like um, with Radiohead, they made Kid A, and then mm-hmm. the following album, Amnesiac, is just like kind of the, the extra tracks they didn't have. Yeah. And not not to say that it's perfect. I love Amnesiac, I like it as well, yeah. But, like... Not everybody's a Radiohead who took a bunch of like crazy songs and then were able to stitch them together That's to what, begin yeah. with. So like the idea for the majority of the time when you're making an album that takes songs from previous recordings and the album that you made are these are our best songs. This is what has kind of a consistent flow of songs together. This is the album, and then you say, "Well, maybe we can stitch the rest of this together." I agree; it's very, very hard, it's hard. nearly impossible. It just doesn't work well. I mean, you can't take you can't craft a good album and then take what's left and make another good album. It's too no. hard. Yeah. I mean, you've taken the cream of the crop in the order that makes sense, in the order that works well. System of a down and done it. I don't know about that. One of those albums is better than the other album. Mesmerize is better than Hypnotize. You're saying that it, that people didn't care about it, but like. Uh... It debuted, The Carpenter debuted at four, Magpie debuted at five, and True Sadness debuted at three. So they all charted higher right. than I and Love and You did, and that's the the platinum album or whatever, or gold, gold. gold album. Right. So, but the problem is uh, both record sale, the way they would sell, and uh, time. Right. Time is important as well, because during the filming of True Sadness is when they got the gold certification. And that album had come out in 2009. And they filmed like they six filmed or seven it. years later. Yeah. yeah. So it's like. It had finally sold enough after six or seven years. If it would have been like a decade earlier, they would have had that certification in the first week. Right. Because albums sold way, way, way more than in the 90s and into mm-hmm. the 2000s. I almost like. This is a whole different topic for maybe even a different day. Yes. I would almost even say that we need to have a different like system at this point because like we don't we're never going to have a four-time platinum album again like it just doesn't have it now it makes no sense none of it it makes any sense because it's all streams and also sometimes vinyl sales right it doesn't make any (laughs) sense at all but anyways yeah different conversation yeah but yeah no i mean i understand again it is there there's kind of almost this like weird illusion when it comes to chart like success because again like sure you're number three on the chart 
for what, maybe a week or two? It doesn't say how long. Usually just a week, yeah. Usually like a week. How many sales did that equate to? Because being number three doesn't mean I sold a million records. It means I sold you know, more records than the other records that were out this week. Right. Like, it's just, I guess we're at a weird point where just because you're up in the charts does not necessarily tell me that you are a huge like seller you might have even had to compete with like michael jackson thriller at this point because well, that's sure. still probably on the chart these days Yeah, anything like, that sells still sells a lot of copies i mean i don't know i don't think it really matters you know i'm not i'm not a, i'm not the jared you don't could care you, to, i don't care commercial success is important <laughs> could you but imagine yeah. that the chart matters anymore could you imagine you work for like two years on an album you're so excited for the release of it and then the 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 week it comes out some famous person dies and that <laughs> album is number one. Like one of their albums is number one. Oh my on the week that someone like dies. Bowie died and you're like, oh, I got to compete with the death of Bowie. Yeah. Like your album charts at five and one through four is all Bowie. Bowie. Yeah. Good luck with that guys. <laughs> but that's like what oh, we live in now. Yeah, it's so yeah. weird. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, it's just well I mean, it makes sense to a certain extent, but like Caleb said, it's a different conversation because for a long time, people weren't paying for any music. Right. And then now we're paying $15 a month or $10 a month to stream everything that's ever existed. Right. For the most and part. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's weird. And you can Very have strange. a couple pennies for it. Tyler, tell me yeah. one of your favorite songs. I think I want you to play Pretty Girl from Michigan. It's their, I thought they it's their return up. to Pretty Girl titled songs. What you've done, you gave your heart away like that. I didn't want to fall in love. With anyone but you, dear I can still hear the song The melody behind the kiss you gave me You were wrong I was right, so I walked away And left you there It actually looks like uh, there's only two songs about pretty girls Yeah, there's two oh, on there's the, a yeah. more yeah, what, what we listen to. Back. Yeah, what we listen to. There's only two on emotionalism, and then that one. If you go back further, it's so more, you guys started cool. at album yeah. five. Yeah, there's yeah. four before yeah. that. I know. So, and there's a lot of pretty girl songs. There are. Those. I love pretty girl songs. Okay. That song, "Pretty Girl from Michigan," is a pretty traditional pop song, which is what I want to talk about in terms of their pop uh, sensibilities. They mm -hmm. write traditional pop songs. They write pop songs that fit like that song is like. Uh, a, a do almost like a doo-oppy pop song and that's kind of like the type of pop elements they bring in which is why i think is interesting about their stuff is they don't br they bring in a more eclectic a more uh time uh like uh, test stands a test of time style of pop to their things uh which i think is really cool because i think it fits well into country music in terms of what they've done and over the time i mean country's always had some standard pop elements in there uh, and I just think that's really cool. And I think that song is a great example of how they bring that type of stuff in. So Caleb and Jared, you guys both have watched the documentary. Yes. Did you recognize the wife yes. of Seth? I Wait, Seth? The meaning younger, younger. The one with the longer hair? Uh -huh. Absolutely. That's the actress from Dexter. Yeah. Yeah. I got really excited when I yeah. saw it. I was like, is that who I think it is? Yeah. Because I saw, I saw the, the, I think they only listed the first name at first. And then I looked at her and I was like, no, that's, I'm pretty sure that's the girl from Dexter. And obviously, I mean, she's done other things as well. I'm pretty sure that she was also one of the actors in the recent Avengers films. Oh, really? She? I don't know. I feel like she was. I don't know. But you're right. Yeah. It was Deborah Morgan I from think, Dexter. Her name's yeah. Jennifer Carpenter. Let me, let me and they have a kid now. 
Let me make sure that I'm right. You guys keep talking about other things. I will verify my own facts. I'll mention my favorite song real quick while you're looking things up. My favorite song is The Laundry Room from I Am Loving You. Um, just because, well, it's a great song. And I feel like it just <clears throat> really implements everything they do best. There's harmonizing on it. There's a lot of instruments. There's a lot of layers. And everything just like comes together really well. That's my favorite song. Did you say Laundry Room? It's yep. A, it's laundry Room was my favorite song. We are twinsies. Let's play Laundry Room. I am a breathing time machine. I am a breathing time machine. I take you all for a ride. I take you all for a ride. Break this tired old routine. I am a breathing time machine. And this time don't make me leave. Yeah, I enjoyed that hard transition as well. Fun I stuff. Am, I am a breathing time machine. That's a cool line. I always like that line. Yeah. They're they're really good lyricists. They have a lot of good I would agree. Fun lyrics. <clears throat> they're depressive area music for me. That's what I listen to when I get depressed. Interesting. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Uh so I know okay, so let me ask this. And I think that um it should be probably mostly universal, I would say, but I'm not totally sure. Tyler, you already said you're kind of a three album guy. Mm-hmm. You said emotionalism, I love you, and the carpenter are the ones that stood out to you the most. Didn't you say you own the carpenter? I own the carpenter. Yeah, you own the carpenter. I am the table. Jay. I actually think I own I love you as well. Do you? I think so. On vinyl, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jared, is there like particular albums that stood out to you? John, are there particular albums that stood out to you? I like I like the carpenter as an album. I cannot like pinpoint songs from it that I like, like singles. But I think from front to back, uh, it's a good album, like in a whole. I Am Loving You is pretty good as well. And then the later stuff, uh, the more pop stuff that I kind of listen to more, it's specific singles and that not as a full album. So those are the two albums I think that really stuck out personally. John? I Am Loving You is my favorite. Um, I really like Mignonette. I don't think you guys listen to that, but I no. highly recommend listening to it. It's pretty long. It's a long album, um, but it's really good. Uh, Carpenter's great. Um, I, I enjoy listening to the newer stuff, True Sadness, you know, the new, you know, closer together. Um, just, I don't enjoy them as a whole as much as I do some of their other albums. That makes sense. I'd say Carpenter is probably my peak. Yeah. It's a really good them. album. So I think I Ain't Loving You is a build up to that album. I would agree with that. I think I Ain't Loving You is really good. I think it has lots of great songs, but I just think that the Carpenter continues with great songs, has really great tracking and really as a whole is kind of just where it's at. Yeah. I really do. So I know one thing, it looks like Jared added it, and I kind of want to talk about it anyways, is that I don't know if you guys knew this, but the Avid Brothers actually released a song quite recently. Jared, would you like to speak about this? I suppose so. Uh, I believe just this past Friday, they released a cover of This Land Is Your Land, a, I believe, Woody Guthrie song. Is that right? Pretty sure it's been I think, it is I think every song I think it's originally ever, a Woody Guthrie song. Any, yeah, any any, any, any song, old country band that covers Woody a song Guthrie. is yeah. Woody Guthrie. They're all Woody Guthrie. Uh, but it's it's a pretty good version. There's a music video, black and white, on YouTube's uh, that is fine. Pretty good. It's worth. It's like apropos. It's funny because election and everything that they mm-hmm. came out and were like, "Hey, here's an Americana song." 
And they didn't just release a single Friday. They released the video like three or four days before election day. Yeah. It was very pointed. So mm-hmm. I follow them on Instagram. And when they released it, they released it with a quote as well. Like they were definitely targeting election week for this. Yeah, it was. I thought that that was pretty. And like if you watch the video too, like you can kind of tell that they're making a little bit of a commentary. Uh-huh. With have the you have though. you seen the music video from We Americans? I have not. Okay, it's a good music video. You should play just the play just the like a, a clip of it. I grew up with reverence for the red, white, and blue. Spoke of God and liberty, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Learned love of country from my own family. Some shivered and prayed, approaching the beaches of Normandy. The flag waves high, and that's how it should be. So many lives given and taken in the name of freedom. The story's complicated and hard to read. Pages of the book obscured or torn out completely. I am a son of Uncle Sam, and I struggle to understand the good and evil. But I'm doing. I want to make sure you get a little bit in there. I think that was important. Let people know. Yeah, that's on their new album. And yeah. The new album is very political. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a number of songs where they're making very yes, it is pointed stances. I that was also a very odd um, lyrical structure as yes, well. The way you, that yeah. they were um, structuring, like when the rhymes happened, that yes. was very different from your typical yes. A B A B. I don't know how I feel about it. That's an issue I have with the entirety of that album. Is it? It's because they do it regularly throughout. I don't know if you all notice it elsewhere. I have a song on that album that I really thought was cool. I don't know if it was the next song. It was. Long story short, I re- it really stood out to me, but part of why it stood out to me is because of that. They mm-hmm. do it like the same type of a structuring, but to me it's a little bit even more difficult to get behind. Uh, but it's a song where he's talking over just it's a talk. It's a story overlaid over the music. Or everyone in the story is tied to someone else, and then it comes back to the beginning, right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was a good song. I really, I enjoyed what they talked about. I enjoyed the way that the story went along. I think I like the song, but I find it very difficult. I've been, I'm torn. I've been torn for like four days about it, and I've listened <laughs> to it multiple times, and I still can't make my mind up. And the the part where they sing, long story short is like the worst part of the song. So I'm just like, there's. So, I would want to like this song, and I do like parts of it, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what to think. So I don't know what about this album. Uh, it's I like the content of it. I think that the political stuff is a value, and I think that they are pretty good people to speak on that, honestly, mm-hmm. to an extent. I mean, you know, for where I like, they are. I mean, it's like one of those things like where uh, like current country people are doing that as well. Right. So like it's, it's nice that like an Americana group like them, Bluegrass and pop and whatever like that they come out and have a stance yes now like and people don't like they're that, keeping it consistent yes. yeah but i don't know how i don't know if maybe the music suffers and i don't know i don't know sometimes i feel like it does on this thing that music video was done by their longtime photographer uh cracker farm uh, who, was featured, who was featured in the documentary watch they did like one interview with the guy and his name is like I don't know his actual name, but it's like his nickname is Cracker Brian Farm. Cracker Farm uh, <laughs> Smith, and it's like Cracker Farm. We yeah. both were like Cracker, Cracker Farm. Farm is a great nickname, oh, and yeah. I just looked at like the credits of it, and it says um, 
video director, video producer, Cracker Farm. Like, hey, I know Cracker Farm. Yeah, hey, I met that guy. Yeah, I saw him. Funny. It was pretty funny. I wouldn't yeah. have thought that Cracker Farm was going to make his way into this episode. He's an Avid brother did. now. He's in. He's in. I mean, yeah. That's crazy that they the did that. Way. They did that. Cracker it, Farm Avid. Like they did the documentary like years ago, and he's still doing like it's great. I mean, it's cool that yeah. they. His sister, the Avid brother's sister, is now the piano player. Did you notice that's that true, on there cool. on the Wikipedia page? It's so yeah. I wasn't sure if it was like a wife or something because it showed something Avit something, and so I was like Avit. That's interesting. So I just googled it and it said sister. I'm like, yeah. okay, that makes sense. Something they've been doing this summer. Well, it's not summer anymore, but this past summer, um, after COVID hit, they had to obviously cancel a ton of tour dates because like they released their album in 2019. So I think they were like ready to go on tour this whole year for that album. And obviously COVID hit and they couldn't. So they canceled a ton of dates. But what they decided to do is drive in concerts. So they went to the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And they've done at least two drive-in concerts where people buy a ticket. They drive their car in and, you know, the Ava Brothers are set up and they play a show. It's kind of interesting. Huh. Garth Brooks did that. Did he? But he I like uh, ripped everybody off. What he did was he recorded a concert days before. And then he would do the, they played the concert at a drive-in where the tickets were $100 per car. And then he said, everybody go see it together. Grandma, grandpa, sister, brother, get in the car together. You all live in different houses, you know, but get in the car together, pay $100, watch this concert that I recorded weeks prior, and then I'm going to keep showing it over and over. And so it's funny because- it's a concert, like a live concert video. So just you know, a like, really expensive movie is yes, basically yes. what it was. Correct. And so you're going, you're just watching it on a screen. It is not live. It's been recorded weeks prior. And then like there's a 920 showing and a 1030, you know oh what I mean? And so like it's oh funny because you're like, he's like, come on, everybody clap your hands. It's like. You're clapping weeks ago. Like, you're is, not doing it. I thought that's worse than I thought. I was going to make the joke that he ripped everyone off because he sold them tickets, and then uh, and then Chris Gaines came out. Oh no! But you're what he did what is a, much worse than there that. There was an fact. entire article I read about how he like is such a smart businessman, but he's such like a jerk in the music industry. He's like the richest, one of the richest artists, and he. Like the deal he did with Walmart is so weird. We only release his music through. So if you're a fan of Garth Brooks, you have to go to Walmart to buy these box sets. So he'd like release the same box set with like two new songs. And he had years ago, he did a pre-order for an album that has still not come out. So people pre-ordered this album all this time ago waiting and he's got their money. And who knows when this album is coming out, but he's like, Garth Brooks, we could do an episode on how big of a dick Garth Brooks I is. I would like that, please. I would love to. Because people like his music. He's not on Spotify because he like wants control of his music, which is fine if you had artistic integrity. But he does not. And so, yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up the drive-ins because I, wow. I wanted to shit on Garth he's Brooks been, he's for about two Jared's minutes. he has been waiting for a while. Well, it just like, hit me. You said a drive-in concert. Goes, I'm like, oh. wait a minute. Garth Brooks did this shit. Wait. It's like way worse. Jared was triggered on Garth I was. Thanks, John, for being on here. We're glad you chose. I'm glad you chose Avid Brothers. Yeah. Because I think it's something we probably we never would have covered. Yeah, wouldn't have done. But I would have. I'm glad we did it and one and down with doing it and all. And I think everyone else is pretty. I mean, I liked them for a long time, and so it's. I never would have picked them because I don't listen to them a ton. But it's nice to go back, and the story is cool. 
The relationship is really cool. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. We thank John for being here with us this week because we covered the Avit Brothers. And next week, we're going to switch gears and talk about Aesop Rock. Check out all of our usual stuff. If you haven't heard it at this point, go to a different episode, listen to that. You already get it. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Patreon. That'll get them. You're long and strong like a railway trestle. Dad, just a muscle, and Mama, just a vessel. Meant to carve on over nuzzle and nestle.